Father in heaven, we graciously thank you. Lord, you are the eternal God. Lord, you are the God who was and is and is to come. And Lord, we thank you for your never-ending love and mercy towards us. And Lord, I do desperately ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us tonight. Uh, no one came to hear me speak or hear anything I have to offer, Lord. I'm just claying your hands. But we know, Lord, it's your words that they are truth and they are life. And Lord, as we look at this passage of scripture and look at this warning against artificial love, to not set our affections on the things that are here on earth, but to set our affections on the things that are above where Christ is seated on the right hand of the throne of God. Lord, that we were set our hearts upon you, that we wouldn't be dismayed or afraid or fearful of what we see going on in this world today, but that we remember, Lord God, your precious, precious promises that are yes and in you they're amen. And so, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and we thank you for your word, for it truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. And Lord, it's your word that said you've magnified it above all your name. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do a mighty work today, that we would hear from you and we would treasure your word in the depths of our heart that we may not sin against you. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you and may your name be high and lifted up. In Jesus' holy name we pray and the church said, amen. All right. All right, hopefully this wind doesn't give me any issues. All right, let's see here. Let's see if this works. Put that right there. All right, so 1 John, written by the Apostle John. I like to call him John A, not John B. John B was John the Baptist. John A is John the Apostle. John the Apostle was known as the Apostle of la 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 love, but not always. So at some point early in the ministry, if you guys read the Gospels, he was known as one of the sons of thunder, right? He wanted to call down fire from heaven like the prophet Elijah when people didn't receive the Lord Jesus. But like each and every one of us, as you spend more and more time with the Lord, you begin to change. You begin to be transformed and you begin to become new because that's what the Lord Jesus does. Because all who are in Christ are new creatures. The old passes away and behold, the new does come. And so the apostle John, as he goes through his life with Jesus and Jesus goes into heaven and he receives the Holy Spirit, he begins to be known as the apostle of love. The apostle of love because he uses love more than any other person in all the New Testament. And he's responsible for writing the gospel of John, the good news. He's responsible for 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and responsible for the book of Revelation. And for some of you who don't know, John was one of the only apostles that wasn't martyred. They tried to try to boil him in some hot oil, and it didn't work out because it wasn't his time. Amen? And same with us. It's been appointed for a man to die once and afterwards is the judgment. We all have our appointment, and it wasn't John's appointment then. He was exiled to the island Patmos where we believe he got the, the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ there. Later on, he actually was freed or history tells us that either he was freed or he somehow got out of there and ended up overseeing a lot of the churches in Ephesus, which I believe is now modern day Turkey. And as he was doing that, he was overseeing these churches and there were some, some false teachers that came in with a teaching which we believe might have been early Gnosticism. And so there's nothing new under the sun. You guys know that we're, the scripture says to marvel not for even Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Even therefore his ministers masquerade as ministers of righteousness. You guys remember the apostle Paul said in Acts that as soon as I leave, grievous wolves are going to come in, not sparing the flock. And so that's the same thing that happened with the churches of Ephesus. The Gnostics came in with a new doctrine 
and some new knowledge. Let me clue you guys in on, on something here. There isn't any new knowledge. As you guys have heard it said before, if it's new, it ain't true. And if it's true, it's going to be in the word of God. You can find it there. I guarantee you that. So John's having to battle this false teaching of Gnosticism. I'll go into kind of what that means a little bit later. But John wants his readers to know that they are part of the family of God. So I like to look at this epistle as an action epistle where you can look at it and take the tests. Are you part of the family of God? Because the Gnostics were coming in, they're saying, yeah, we're Christian. We use the same name, the Lord Jesus. We have the same faith. We serve the same God, but their behavior wasn't the same. And so us as Christians, as you guys know, as I said it before, that what belief has brought together, let not bad behavior separate. Because belief and behavior are married to one another. You guys heard it said maybe before too, right teaching leads to right living, or right learning leads to right living. We know if we really believe something, if we act it out in our lives. And so part of knowing if you're truly born again is that you not only profess Christ as Lord, but your life actually reflects Christ as Lord. So Apostle John in this epistle uses the word love, I'm sorry, in his epistle on the gospel, uses the word love over 80 times, which is agape. The word truth, 45 times, 20 times in the epistle, 25 times in the gospel, I believe. But he uses the word belief 100 times so that we may believe the truth and enter into a love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As he's dealing with this teaching, part of the teaching of the Gnostics, and when we read this book, it's pretty black and white. It's either you're light or you're in darkness. You either love or you're walking in hate. You're walking in lies or you're walking in truth. So it's pretty black and white, which is good, I believe. But we have to understand the context when we do read it. Because of the higher knowledge of the teaching of the Gnostics, their belief about Jesus Christ was tainted. So part of their belief that Jesus was only a man with the spirit of God and then the spirit of God came upon him and then left him at the resurrection. And another belief was he was fully God, but he was never man, that he only appeared to be man. He was like Casper, the friendly ghost. Like he looked like he was really there, but he wasn't really a man. And so we have to understand whenever we deal with false doctrine, it is always centered around the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you change the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ, you no longer have salvation and you no longer have redemption from the bondage of sin. Anyway, both of these views are wrong. He was both 100% God and 100% man. And he died on the cross for yours and my sin. Some modern day teachings today that's similar to that. Jehovah's Witness, Church and Scientology with the higher knowledge, Mormonism, another testament, all those do not line up with scripture. So as John's writing this, his readings for writing, again, so that we would know that we're part of the children of God and we can all take those tests. And his main reasons, there's several, but I'll just go over five really quick. He says, first and foremost, that we may have fellowship with God. Now, I explained it last time. There's a difference. When's going to, hold on. Amen. Relationship is what we have, 
okay? We have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by placing our trust in the work, finished work of Christ on the cross. Fellowship, Greek word koinonia, is what we do, right? It's, it means to share, be partakers of the Holy Spirit and share that with one another. And so this, the epistle is rooted in knowing that we're in fellowship with God and we're sharing that with one another. Secondly, that we may have joy and that our joy may be full. Saints, I want to remind you, nothing in this world is going to bring us the joy that the Lord Jesus Christ will. Amen? Amen? Some of us already figured that out. The sooner you figure that out, the better off your life will be. But true joy essentially would mean Jesus is first, others are next, and yourself, you're last. Okay? You guys have heard that acronym before, I'm sure. But Jesus, others, yourself. He says that you may have joy. Thirdly, that you may not sin. Because sin is egregious, God. Although we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, sin breaks fellowship with God. The wages of sin is death. Sin destroys our relationships. And John says, hey, look, the Gnostics are running around claiming Christ, but living in willful rebellion against God. You as children of God should not be living like that. Fourthly, so that we may not be deceived by false teachers. Saints, that's why we need to know the word of God. Know it, understand it, read it, and apply it to our lives. See, many false teachers have come in. There's a lot of false teaching circulating. And John says, if you have the word of God and the true Jesus, you will not be deceived. See, even a broken clock is right once, sometimes twice a day in a 24-hour period. And so a lot of the false doctrine has some truth in them. But as I told you guys last time, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. And lastly, that we may have assurance of our salvation in 1 John chapter 5. He says that he who has the son has the life. And he says, this is the record concerning Jesus Christ that God has given us everlasting life. And this life is in his son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. All right. Amen. So you guys get your outlines out fairly quick. Should have them right there. So last time the message was called, I titled it because you know Jesus, because you have a relationship with him. So as John is is writing earlier in the chapter, this is what I call the test of love. All right. The test of love. Jesus says in John 13, 34, you will know you're my disciple by the love you have one to another. And so he tells them two hallmarks of you being in fellowship with God is one, obedience, earlier in chapter two, and two, love for the brethren. I guess the Gnostics had no love. They were clashing brass and clanging cymbals. So he says, he gives a test of love. Then he goes into the blessings that we have in salvation. Because you know Jesus, guess what? Your sins are forgiven. Amen? Sins are forgiven. Scripture says without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. So Christ shed his blood on the cross for us. Then he says, you know the Father. You guys, God goes from being the judicial judge to being our loving Father because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Then he says, you are strong and you have overcome the wicked one and the word of God abides in us. The word of God makes us strong, saints. Somebody once told me, make sure... When Satan comes to attack you, he has a boatload of scripture he has to climb over to get to you. We should be meditating on the word of God. We should know the word of God 
day and night. The Bible says just do it two times. Psalm 1, day and night. It's not too much for us, right? Amen. So we just meditate on the word of God. Then we get to this passage of scripture, which is still part of the love. And I tell the message, the warning of fake love. Let me get my outline. Hold on. The warning against fake love. So point number one, the love of the father or the love of the ideologies of the world, AKA worldliness. I know you guys have heard the term, oh, they're worldly. I think that's worldly, right? So what they mean by that is simply the worldly systems that we're all under, whether it's government, whether it's uh, culture, whether it's tradition, the bottom line is it's not of the father. It's not of God. It's not of the faith. Therefore, it can't benefit you. We need to beware. So I have a few things on here. The love of the world and the love of the father. The love of the world, the focus is me. I like that. You guys like that too. Not me, but you, right? The focus is me. Make my name great. Do whatever makes me happy. Live comfortable as possible. We cannot, I repeat, we just can't be uncomfortable. Like we just can't, right? But let me get this out the way now. There's only one name that's great. So if you were trying to make a name for yourself, let's just cut that out now. Scripture says that Jesus' name is higher than any other name. That he made himself of no reputation and lowered himself and became obedient to the point of death on the cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name in heaven above on earth here and below the earth. So we don't need to make a name for ourselves. You can't because yours will never be as high as the Lord Jesus Christ. In contrast, the love of the father. Focus on Jesus. It's about Christ. Make Jesus' name great. Do what pleases the Lord. Not about comfort in this world, but about the hope of the world to come. Christians, that's where our mindset and affection should be. Truth. Secondly, the world will leave you unfulfilled, unsatisfied, and empty. Shocker, right? Only God's love satisfies. And then he goes into these three elements in which Satan would use, the world would use to lure us in. First and foremost, the lust of the flesh, which appeals to our appetites. Tastes good, but doesn't fulfill. Secondly, the lust of the eyes. Looks good, but doesn't satisfy. Thirdly, the pride of life. Me, 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 me. Appeals to our ambitions. You know what I'm going to do? Or they ask you in school, what do you want to be when you grow up? What are you going to do? How, you, what, how many people are going to work under you? Those, those are those worldly ambitions. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as Christ's name and he's at the center. But that's not what the world teaches. But that appeals to our ambitions. Feels good, but it doesn't last, as most of us know. Thirdly, delight in doing God's will. That which is seen is temporary. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And that's our eternal hope. God's essential broad will is eternal life. So we need to delight in doing his will. All right, let's go to the text. We're all we're awake, right? It feels pretty warm out here. I like that. Amen. All right, so I'm going to read it and then I'm going to pray over it because it's only like three verses. The wind, the wind, stop it. I'm going to do the best I can with this wind. All right. 
Do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Oh, it is alive. It's active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Breaking bone, marrow, piercing soul and spirit. And it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us tonight. That you would open up our eyes to understand your word. And that we wouldn't just be hearers tonight, Lord. But we will be doers. And that we would cherish your word as one who has found a great treasure. And Lord, we do pray that your name is high and lifted up. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. This is going to be challenging, all right. <laughs> so continue with this test of love. Apostle John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. But wait a minute, didn't God create the world and all of creation? So we are not talking about the actual physical world. Because see, in Psalm 19.1, it says that the heavens declare the glory of God. See, creation shows us that there is a God, right? Every house needs a builder. And so creation tells us that there is a God, that he's thinking of us. Literally, all of creation is tailor-made for human life. So he doesn't tell us, do not love creation or do not love the physical world. Well, then I have a reason to hate people then or not love people. And can't let you go on that one either. Because John 3, 16 says, for God so love the world. Speaking of people. So you can't get off on that one because we're called to love one another as Christ has loved us, right? So he's not speaking of not loving people. So when he says, do not, actually, uh, the NLT version says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. But when he says, do not, it literally means God forbid. You guys have heard that term. Paul uses it a lot when he says, is there any unrighteousness with God? God forbid or certainly not. In the Greek language, it's a double negative. In English, that's not okay. But in Greek, it's very okay. Do not or no, no, don't, don't. Doesn't sound right to us. But John gives this strong exhortation about what not to have love for. And really, it's affection. He said, the world and the things, if a person loves them, the person cannot both contain the love of the Father and love for the ideologies that are here. Let me give an example. Since I am a married man, I cannot both love the single life and what it offers and love the married life and what it offers although some have tried, and to disaster it went. Amen? See, the affection necessary for a person who is single is, abs is absolutely antithetical and contrary to the affection necessary for a person who's married. See, these two ideologies can't live together. When he says the world, when he says love, it's actually the Greek word agapeo, which comes from which is where we know agape, but this derivative is in the verb and it means to entertain, to be fond of, 
to love dearly. So he says, do not have affection for the ideas and the ideologies that the world presents to us. The culture, the social systems under Satan's influence. A man back in Genesis named Nimrod was an anti-God leader, made the city Babel. If you guys remember, they tried to make a name for themselves. Didn't turn out well, but their ideology was we want to be great. John says that ideology does not come from the father. The whole circle of earthly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, etc., which although hollow, frail, and fleeting, they stir desire, seduce from God, and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. Our government, it's okay to murder babies up until the day of birth, some would say. It's been said that abortion is when the baby gets the death penalty for someone else's actions. We literally have government officials today that said that's okay. That's murder, the Bible says. They're trying to legalize pedophilia. That is a worldly ideology, ungodly, godless, same-sex marriages. Although in God's eyes, it's not marriage. He says in the beginning, God created them male and female. And therefore what God brings together, let no man separate. So let God be true and every man be a liar. Teaching children the lie of evolution in schools. As you guys know, it did not go from the infantile to the reptile to the crocodile to the Gentile, right? It did not go from the zoo or from you to the goo to the zoo by the way of the zoo. However you want to say it, it didn't happen, all right? These are all lies of the worldly ideologies. It's okay to teach about Islam, but not about Christ. These are all examples of worldly ideologies, and they have all crept into the progressive church movement. Saints, the law does not legislate morality. If the scripture says it's sin, then by golly, it is sin, like God has said. For you note takers, Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. See, this idea that we can be worldly Christians is like having heavenly devils. It's not going to work. You're either one or you're the other. You can't play both sides of the fence. See, right now, just, there's really just so much going on in the world and many of us as Christians, we fell into the bondage of fear. There's politics, there's entanglements. We have opinions and arguing and having anger issues over what we feel and think about how we handle the virus or what about the virus. See, some of us are so consumed with, with this that we replace scripture with man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of Fox News or CNBC, Right? But the scripture says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God and nothing else. Our focus should be on the word. Some of us have even replaced the fear of God with the fear of COVID or the fear of death. See, the fear of God is the death of every other fear. It's like a mighty lion and it chases all other fears away. 
See, if I fear God, I have nothing else to fear. That is my protection, my Lord and my Savior. Obviously, a lot of people have, are struggling from the COVID virus. I just came back from it. Pastor Davis recovering from that as well. So I want to be sensitive. I get it when people, um, you know, they don't feel comfortable coming to church or coming around gatherings. I, I fully understand that. I had it myself. But at the same time, as Christians, for us, death has no sting. There's, there's nothing here on this world you can threaten me with because of my promise of the world to come. See, death is gate of endless joy. See, Psalm 1611 says that you will show me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy. Therefore, at your right hand is pleasures forevermore. I look forward to that one day. Saints, because heaven is our home, we have nothing to fear. Walk in wisdom and faith, but not in terror and timidity. So regard to anything we may fear, whether it's from COVID-19 or who's going to be in our government come in a week or any other threat from a biblical perspective, saints, here it is. This is just, this is just my heart, just sharing my heart with you guys. Here it is. Whether I get something that's going to potentially kill me, whether I get something that's of grave harm to myself, here's my options. See me in heaven or see me at church when I recover. All right. That's the bottom line. And so for us, we walk with confidence because of who our savior is. See, the world would want you to say otherwise and stay in hibernation and never come around people ever again because that's how the destruction of the Christian happens. So I encourage you saints, don't do that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. See, this is what Satan offered Jesus in the book of Matthew. Again, the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. If you guys remember the parable of the source, it was the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches that choked up the seed sown among thorns in the parable of the sower, Mark chapter four, for reference. Those are note takers. Demas in second Timothy 4.10, it said for Demas, having loved this present world has forsaken me and deserted me. Apostle Paul says it was great possessions that prevented the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 from following Jesus. Again, what the world offers. It's been said that man is no fool that gives up what he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. It's been said also that anything worldly I, I hold loosely, but I cling with a death grip to the cross of Jesus Christ. Saints, that's part of our exhortation here to do not hang tight to the world or the things that are in it but to hang tight to the Lord Jesus. See, all throughout scripture, we see this. One cannot serve two masters, for you will either hate one and love the other, or love the other and hate one. All throughout scripture, you see the Lord Jesus Christ or Satan, the spirit of the flesh, the spirit or the flesh, Egypt slash Babylon or Jerusalem, kingdom of God, or the kingdom of Satan. The myth and deception today is that we can both have Jesus and the world. I love this quote by A.W. Tozer. He says, a new generation of Christians has come up in the world, believing that it is actually possible to accept Christ 
without forsaking the world. Saints, it's impossible. You can't have both. And I don't even know why would we want to, knowing what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. For you note takers, 1 John 4, 5. It says, they are of the world, therefore they seek, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Galatians 6, 14, the apostle Paul says, but God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Saints, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Can you set fire to your pants and not get burned? Therefore, you cannot lie down with dogs and not get fleas when you get up, all right? If they have fleas. Hopefully you got the dog collar on, amen? <laughs> There's no such thing as playing both sides of the fence, saints. <laughs> While the Lord God requires full allegiance to him, Satan is okay with a compromised allegiance as long as he gets the portion that belongs to God. Example, when I was in college, and I, that's where I met my wife, I went to college out of state. It was in South Dakota, it's far away. But out there, athletes, they got first dibs on housing. So I ended up getting six months. We ended up getting Section 8, all those amenities. It was good stuff. Now, this is my early 20s. I wasn't really walking with the Lord. But I'm like, cool, good stuff. I'm going to pay rent. This is solid. So we get a voucher. Well, we end up moving back here to California. Well, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar, but Section 8 in California, 7 to 10 years. And California is expensive. So our voucher transferred. So I was like, cool, this is good stuff. Came back here, two months, I had a voucher for housing. Me and my wife, well, I wasn't married at the time. My fiance at the time, which is now my beloved wife, praise the Lord. Um, at the time, we got a nice little townhome in Camarillo, all right? Now, some of you guys like Camarillo, not so much. I'm from Oxnard, Camarillo is so much. That's a little bit higher, step higher, all right? So I'm in Camarillo, we chilling. So we're in Camarillo, Section 8, housing voucher, living good, right? I had Section 8, housing, WIC, all that. Okay. Now from a worldly perspective, I thought I was good. I'm, I'm good. This, the government's given to me. I'm gonna take the cheese. Right. So I did took the cheese. Okay. Not wise if you're a Christian. Okay. So I had all these things. And one day I was at the gym in Camarillo, 24 hour fitness, living good. And one of my godly mentors addressed me and came and we had a conversation. He said, Hey Josh, can I ask you why you're not married? And I was like, bro, like we're in the gym. We're not having this conversation now, but we had a conversation and I said, look, well, you know how expensive it is in California and can't afford it, right? He said, okay, interesting. And then he began to ask me, um, do you want, so what he said was, and I remember this to this day because I'll never forget it. He said, hmm, interesting. He said, so what you're telling me is you trust God to provide for you when you're being disobedient, but you don't trust them to provide for you when you're obedient. And that was like a gut check, boom. So I'm like, that's a good point, actually. And then he said, also, too, do you want your fiance to think you're still looking? Okay. Good, good question. And then he said, lastly, and my daughters may have been, Josie and John were probably one and a half, maybe, and almost three. And he said, do you want your daughters to think it's okay to shack up? And that hit me like two broken ribs that almost crumbled me to the ground. And that day I went home and I told my fiance, now my wife, we're getting married. Amen. 
But what was keeping me back was a love for the world. It caused disobedience. I couldn't do them both. I couldn't both serve God and serve this idea of taking the cheese from the government, which I did. Okay. But I had to repent. And I think it may have been 30, 45 days later, we were married and the rest is history. By God's grace, I've been blessed ever since. Saints, it's better to operate in the love of God. For you note takers, James 4, 4 says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Saints, we must choose this day who we're going to serve. I love Elijah. When he calls out the people of Baal, he says, how long will you falter between two opinions? If God is God, worship him. But if Baal is God, then worship him. And you guys saw all that turned out. He said, where's your God now? He's going to the bathroom. He's going potty. Where is he? And it was the real God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob called down fire from heaven. Ancient Israel's greatest command. I tell you, I know you know the Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, he is one. Therefore, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your mind, strength, and soul, some versions would say. See, saints, we were created for worship, specifically to worship God, to love God and be loved by him. That is our, essentially our purpose. If we do not worship God and whom we were created to worship, then we're reduced to the le- something less and will never be satisfied. As John told the woman at the well, you will thirst again. This would usually result in us ignoring God, loving things and using people. We're supposed to worship God, love people and use things. This is called inordinate affections. It's affection disorder where we worship the creation rather than the creator. See, Saints, the Gnostics had a love for philosophy and ideology and higher knowledge. And they taught that, yes, faith in Christ saves, but, and always be careful of faith in Christ, but teaching, because faith in Christ alone saves, and that not out of ourselves, the gift of God, lest any man should boast. But they would teach that, look, faith in Christ saved, but you need to have this higher knowledge that we have. And you can only get it from us, from our secret school of learning and the way that we teach it. And that's what was circulating in the churches of Ephesus. John's exhortation to the children of God is do not entertain, be fond of, or set your affections on the things of this world. This world is not our home. It would be like investing a large amount of money that you worked 20, 30 years for and you take your 401k and everything, all of your assets, time, emotion, and hope, and then you put it into a company that's going out of business. Not wise. We need to have eternal investments. Unfortunately, the Gnostics found their hope in philosophy and the worldly pagan knowledge. Although they were professing Christ, their faulty view of Jesus led to behavior that was antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Vain philosophies, traditions of man, according to the basic principles of the world and not after Christ. This is a false religion that's built on sand and not upon rock. There's no profit or hope and they will perish along with their ideologies. 
Where are your affections, saints? Are they on our career? Are we busy trying to make our name great? Are we trying to leave 10 generations of our children with wealth and make sure that they're comfortable in a world that's passing away? New house, more money. It's been said, if you're not content with the money you have now, you wouldn't be content if it doubled. Because see, the eye's not satisfied with seeing and the ear's not satisfied with hearing. Anything above Christ is gonna be a snare to us, saints. Example, when I was, a few years ago, I was working at a school, not a few, it was probably about seven years ago. And that's when I first, I believe I was first filled with the Holy Spirit. I started reading the Bible for the first time. Imagine that, I've been, I was in church my whole life, didn't read the Bible. <laughs> Nothing new, right? Shocker. So it reminds me of a time, I was working at a non-public school in Camarillo at the time. Like Camarillo, right? Working at Camarillo at the time, it was a non-public school and I actually had the opportunity of being probably like something equivalent to like a hall monitor in a school. And so I had a lot of downtime. And during this time, I would get my Bible out and I would be reading, meditating on the word of God. And then kids would come out of the classroom and they would constantly see me like, Josh, what are you reading? I'm like, the Bible. And of course, that began to spark curiosity. So as sparking curiosity, I'm able to share the gospel with these kids. Um, and a lot of them started to be enlightened and ask more and more questions. Well, lo and behold, one day, one of these kids brings their Bible to school. Praise the Lord, right? Well, the director wasn't too happy about that. And there's other self-proclaimed Christians that were working there as well. And in front of everybody, he says, look, I brought my Bible. Amen. The director said, uh, no, you can't bring your Bible to school. So I'm like, okay, hopefully, I'll be honest, I was hoping somebody else would step up and say something so I didn't have to do it. But every, nobody said a word. And so I was, I was now pressed with the, oh, quick hands. Woo! Woo! That was the grace of God. There we go. So now I'm compelled at this point. You know what? Ugh, I was reading the Bible. You confess me before man. I'll confess you before my father. But if you deny me before man, and that scripture kept ringing and ringing and ringing. So I say, you know what? It is what it is. I say, hey, look. Young man, you can bring your Bible to school. That's your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. You don't have to worry about, about that. Everyone looked at me like, you must not care about your job at all. And I didn't even think about losing my job because all I was thinking about was being faithful to what God had called me to do as an ambassador. Sure enough, long story short, that day she was like, yeah, we're not going to need you anymore. All right, your services are up. And so she allowed me to finish the summer. But that job was the job that was paying for our mortgage. And could, it could have easily been like, well, yeah, I'm not going to say anything because if I lose my job, then I won't be able to pay my mortgage and I won't be able to provide for my family. But we have to understand that being faithful to God, it comes with those type of risks. At the end of the day, God will provide for us. It says he will provide all of, all of our needs according to his riches and glory. But had I held on to the things of this world that, you know what, in fear, then I would have been no dis disobedient to God. See, saints, these two things run parallel with one another. You can't have both the love of God and the love for the things and the comforts of this world. Amen? See, it's a love for earthly things that causes us to forsake heavenly things. We cannot both follow Christ and follow the world, we must count the cost. 
It was said of Moses in Hebrews 11 for you note takers. By faith, when Moses became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure in Egypt, for he looked for a reward. See, the love of the world, that's what that brings you. If anyone loves the world, 15b, your Bible, still part of the same verse, 15b, second part. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If is a condition. If anyone sets their affection, is fond of, entertained by earthly goods, riches, pleasures of this world, then it shows that the love of the Father is not in them. Now, again, we all have our moments, right? I remember a moment a few, maybe four or five years ago where, well, obviously I'm a city boy. I mean, you guys can figure that out. My wife's from the country, but we had went, we had visited Oklahoma a few years ago and my brother-in-law, uh, they, they do a lot of hunting out there. So we went shooting. I'll be honest. Like I like, I like the shooting thing. It was good stuff. But I remember when I came back here, I was like, I gotta, get, I gotta get me a shotgun. And I got to get another one too. And I think I might've spent like two weeks in a row constantly going to the internet. Okay, I got to, oh, that's a good deal here. I think we'll try to get that one too. That's a good deal here. Next thing I know, it was two, three hours a day I was spending looking to buy a gun so I can go to the shooting range. And it consumed a lot of my time. And then finally I said, man, this is like idolatry. What am I doing? I can't keep doing this. And I had to forsake that. But the thing is, is we can get caught up in these things. We have our moments, like I said. So for me, that was a moment for me, all right? I didn't live that way. But the context is, John is saying this is the test for someone who's living and practicing these things. Somebody who lives and practices this ongoing. That's unbecoming for a Christian. That's unbecoming for someone who has the love of Christ living inside of them. Their affections aren't continually like that. We have our moments. See, it's not a matter of having things that is the problem. It's a matter of things having us. It's been said that in reality, there hasn't been a wealthy person that has owned something. Those things have owned them. And that's what happens with riches is we think we're owning them, but essentially they're owning us. See, St. John asserts that those who show a love and desire for this world systems are showing that they don't have the love of the father. This is one of the tests for you and I to take to see if we're in fellowship with God. Ultimately, the ultimate test of whether something has you or you have it, you ready? If you can, let it go. That's how you know. If even the idea of you letting it go is a problem, we may have an idol on our hands. If you try to make excuses for why you need it and why you need to continue to have it, then we might have an idol on our hands. So you can now do a personal inventory and take that test. For you note takers, Matthew 6 and 33, we're called to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto us. The world, again, is under the influence of Satan. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 
Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of, who don't, of those who don't believe. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are of God, but the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. As you guys have heard it said before, we are in the world, but we are not of it. Example I heard before is that, hey, we are in the boat, but if water gets in the boat, then the boat sinks. And so saints, the dilemma now is, is how do we have contact with the world and not become contaminated? So if while we're in the world and the world begin to, begins to get in us, we become ineffective for the kingdom of God. A little bit of darkness dims our light. When he says love of the father, that word means agape, a very familiar word for all of us. It should. That is the selfless love that is on the cross. That is affection, goodwill, love, benevolence. Jesus gives a strong warning in the gospel of Luke, also in Matthew. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, again, this doesn't mean the hatred that leads to murder. The word actually translates to love less. So if anyone loves mother, father, son, daughter, Matthew's translation was probably more clear. More than me is not worthy of me. All it takes is for mom, dad, daughter, spouse. Yeah, we're not going to church anymore. Yeah, I just think, I think it's just out of style. I just, I don't, just don't think we should go. Like, I think we should like go somewhere else, go bowling, you know, go, go watch a football game, but we shouldn't go to church anymore. If you love spouse more than God, guess you're going to go along with that flow. And this is why saints, he tells us the love of the father is opposite. We can't love anything or anyone more than him. This word hate people struggle with, but saints look at God does hate. And that's perfectly righteous, but we struggle with that. He hates what? I thought God was all love. The Bible said, love, love, love. Don't you tell me that. Look, the scripture says it very clear. Part of the reason why he hates is because he loves us and he hates anything that is contrary to his nature. Anything that serves as a challenge to our devotion, worship and affection to the Lord serves as an idol and a stumbling block. For you note takers, Psalm 97, 10, it says, you who love the Lord hate evil. He perseveres the souls of the saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. One of the substance of love and allegiance to someone or something is a hate and disdain for anything that threatens the object of your affections. Saints, if you love children, you should hate abortion. Amen. Right. It's part of love. Because remember, if there isn't any hate, there's no notion of justice. If there isn't any justice, there really isn't true love, true agape love. True love hates that which is contrary. If we love God, we should hate and despise evil and have nothing to do with it. The term the love of the father is not in. It means it's not influencing them. It's not sufficient. 
See, many people think, oh, I don't want to become a Christian because I got to have all these rules and I'm bound to all these things. Paul says the only thing that bounds the Christian is the love of Christ. That's the only thing that we're bound to. We're not bound by law or rituals. But essentially, when you're in bondage to the world, you are bound to that. See, Jesus says to whom the Son sets free is free indeed. To love the world, essentially, saints, is to reject the Father. Point number two. That went by fast. It will leave you unfulfilled, unsatisfied, and empty. Only God's love satisfies. Verse 16 in your Bibles. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Comes to me like in the, Mor- the Maury show. When they put it all to the test, he says, and it is not of the Father, okay? None of these things are. See, what the world promises, it cannot give. The love for things that are passing, temporal, and carnal. It's a term where we get worldly from. Essentially, abandoning the love of the Father is like trading in riches for poverty. See, what happens is Satan uses these three things to lure us into rebellion against God. And what it is, again, remember I said every lie has a little bit of truth in it. So what he does is takes legitimate desires and lures us into them illegitimately. Let me give an example. We talk about the lust of the flesh, which simply means what appeals to our, let's see here. Yeah, I don't even have my outline in front of me. I don't know where it went. There you go. What he said. (laughs) Amen. Thank God for the grace. So it's legitimate to be hungry, right? Nothing wrong with that. It's legitimate to be hungry. So when we're hungry, we eat, okay? But it's not okay to be a glutton, right? So So what Satan does is it's legitimate to be hungry. For example, you guys remember Jesus in the wilderness when Satan tempted him. He said, look, I mean, if you're, if you're God... Just turn the rock to bread. It makes sense. You're hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. You're the man. Just turn the rock to bread. That's, that makes sense. Only it would have been in disobedience to the Father. That is what the lust of the flesh does. It promises to meet that legitimate need ill legitimately. Another one, which is a big one, sex. Right? Oh, you're talking about sex in church. What's wrong with you? Look it. God made sex and sex is good within the confounds of the purpose in which God has created it. But that's another one. God made us as sexual beings. It's a legitimate desire. It's okay within the confounds of marriage. It's not okay to have sex with a bunch of people. Amen? No matter what the world says. Scripture makes it clear. One man, one woman for a lifetime. The word lust. Inordinate affection, ungovernable desires of that which is forbidden. In other words, the abuse of something that is natural and perfectly right and legitimate, but it's abused. See, Christians, we are known, I wouldn't say we are known, 
But the reality of being a born-again Christian is that we are no longer controlled from the outside. We're controlled from the inside, the Holy Spirit. But what these lusts do is instead of being controlled from the inside, it gets you the control from the outside. Flesh doesn't mean your physical flesh. It means, oh, whoa, they're doing it again. Hold on. Sensuality, what we call our animal nature. You know, animals don't really, you know, they don't have any morality. So, you know, as dogs, they don't care. They just see something, they just go run and get it. Trash cans, off your plate at the table, under the table, doesn't matter. But what it is, is their eyes are their arms and they just take what they see. It doesn't even matter. Because of our fallen nature, you and I, we have that same animal desire, animal-like nature in a sense. But a fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And when we're not operating in the Spirit, that part of us can end up getting us in a lot of trouble and actually be in rebellion against God. See, lust of the flesh appeals to our appetites. Genesis, which is, gives us an example of all three of these. But in the book of Genesis, we saw that Eve, when Satan came to Eve, he tempted her with three things. We'll talk about the first one. He said, God didn't really say that. I mean, you know, come on. He wants you to have all this. And it said that Eve saw the tree that it was good for eating. That's legitimate. Samson, do you guys remember? Well, already on his spiritual demise, in a moment of compromise, he couldn't resist the honey. That was in the lion. Compromise. John essentially says this. What the world offers legitimate assets that appeal to our fallen nature and they serve as a dangerous alternative of fake love to draw us away from the Lord or prevent us from even coming to him. See, in a culture today, sex is the main lust of the flesh. It's infiltrated the church, relationships, schools, our entire culture today. God created it for marriage to procreate, to enjoy and build intimacy within the marriage. Not too long ago, I was asked to speak at a youth conference and nobody wanted to take the purity one. So I said, look, I'll do it. Bunch of teenager boys, how bad could it be, right? Teenage boys, purity, let's do it. But when I went there and I put it on for them, I started off with this. I said, gentlemen, repeat after me. Sex is good. Crickets. They couldn't say it because of what the culture has taught them about sex. They were uncomfortable. Some of them were blushing. Oh, we, at least I can't say it. But here's the bottom line. If we don't teach our children about it, then the world will. If we don't teach them the purpose and that what God created is good within its confounds, then the world's going to teach them the illegitimate way. A lot of us growing up, I know growing up, it would just say, you just don't have sex in your marriage. No one told me why, right? It would have been good to know it's good and it has a purpose instead of us being animals and following the culture of what it says. See, here's the bottom line, saints. Whenever we use something outside of its purpose, we rob it of its full effect and can never reach its full potential in our lives. An example that really stuck with me in regards to sex and purity was that of lightning and electricity. See, nobody goes out there and purposely tries to get struck by lightning. That's not good. But yet, when you go in your house and you flip on those light switches, you turn on the, the electric stove, the dryer, and all those other things, it works beautifully, doesn't it? Because it's being used for its purpose. 
fire is good in the fireplace, but if it gets on the couch, it burns everything up, right? See, this is what the lust of the flesh is. It appeals to your natural appetite in an illegitimate way. And when you lust, it's like coveting. You want more of it. My, my girls always get mad at me. But I'm okay with being arch enemy number one in my home. But when we talk about purity, see, in my house, before we leave the house, there's a test they got to take. And here's what I tell them. Okay, line it up. Raise your hands, touch your toes. If anything shows, change your clothes. It's that simple. All right? And I tell them, <laughs> look, modesty is not a covering up, but a revealing of dignity. And we have to teach our children and raise them up in the way and the love of the Father and not on the ideologies of the world. Look, my exhortation, young ladies, anyone who's watching, listening, God has made each and every one of us, we're fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. The world would teach and say otherwise. And so we have to understand our bodies are temple for the Holy Spirit, not a visiting center or a vending machine. Amen? Some tough truth, but it's real. We need to teach our children and each other. That's the lust of the flesh. For you note takers, Galatians 5 says we are to walk in the spirit so we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Saints, if there's anything that we crave or desire more than the Lord, we need to let it go. Bible says if your eye causes you to sin, pluck that thing out. Amen? Now, it doesn't mean physically, but cut off all occasion, all opportunity of the sinning. See, saints, fasting and praying is a good way to get over the lust of the flesh if you're having a struggle with it. See, God gives us the power to overcome. That's part of one of our blessings of having the Holy Spirit. The world promises pleasure, but only delivers emptiness. Lust of the eyes. This appeals to our affections. 16b. See, this is what we see. A lot of us struggle with this one. I see it. I got to have it. How did that work out for David? You guys remember King David? Should have been at war. We did at home. Happened to come on his rooftop and he saw a young woman bathing. And he just had to have it. Essentially, this is what's desirable, pretty, enticing, and arousing. It's covetousness, also known as idolatry. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 1.8, he says that the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. It will never be enough. It's been said that the eyes are the gate to the soul. They say to watch your thoughts because they become your words. Watch your words become they, because they become your actions. Watch your actions because they become your habits. And watch your habits because they become your destiny. And it all started with what you are meditating on through what you see. Believer, what are the main things that we watch or entertain? This isn't just music, but also what shows are we entertained by when we go home? It's really easy to present holy here at church. But when you're at home and you think none of us are watching, the Lord is always watching. That's the lust of the eyes. Do not fall to the world saying as such as it's okay to look, but don't touch. That is foolishness. That didn't work out for David and that didn't work out for Solomon. And that sure didn't work out for Samson. Window shot, but not buy. 
These are all lies of Satan in order to entice the believer against God. Here's what Jesus said about looking with lust. Matthew 5, 28 for you note takers. But I say unto you, whoever looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's how serious it is. The lust of the flesh. I'm sorry, lust of the eyes. Eve, the fruit was pleasant to her eyes. King David saw Bathsheba. Satan tempted Jesus, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And said, you could have it if you just bow. Well, Satan wants us to bow to this world, but it can never fulfill what we were created for. Lust of the eyes, big one here, pornography. It's running rampant on every level in many ways. It's contaminated the families, marriages, children, and even churches. Do you guys know that after I did the purity class and I did a lot of research, age 11 is the average age, 11 and 13, for children to have their experience with pornography. Parents, your children, do they have all-out access on their phones? My kids don't have phones. But do they have all-out access on their phones? Because chances are they're probably watching pornography. And, and pornography is like video heroin. It's extremely highly addictive, but it will never give you what the love of the Father will. Saints, we need to be like Joseph and run from fleeful lusts. I remember a brother in Christ many years ago had been addicted to pornography for 20 years. And when God delivered him from that, in the beginning stages, he cut off all occasion. He told his wife, I can't have any Victoria's Secret magazines around. He wouldn't even go around large crowds at beaches and pools because he didn't want to be tempted to lust after that. This was a man whose heart was now after God. Saints, what are we willing to cut off in order to walk in holiness and obedience to God? See, a lot of times we think that we can compromise. And I'll tell you this, behind every compromise is a volcano of chaos waiting to erupt. And when it does... It's not going to spare. Scripture tells us, here's a good exhortation. The scriptures tells us that no temptation is uncommon to man, but God is faithful and he will give us a way of escape. First Corinthians 10, 13. Temptation can be used as an opportunity to stand, not fall. Now, pride of life. This is the thing that feels good, but it doesn't last. Really quick, I remember when I was in high school, playing college football, I mean high school football. In one game, believe it or not, I had five touchdowns in one half. And I'll tell you this, whoa, whoa, hey man. And I'll be honest, it felt good. I was the man on campus. It felt good. And for about a week. And then the buzz wore off. Because now we have another game to play. And your five touchdowns is pretty much, it's, it's in the books now. Let's see what you're going to do this game. But it's things like that. This pride of life, it feels so good. The word means vainglory, boasting in one's possessions or social status. This one appeals to our ambitions. The Gnostics were immersed in their higher knowledge. And the thing is, here's the bottom line. If you don't have a fear of God, all you are is a wise idiot, a dumb, a dumb smart person, and an intellectual fool. Because the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Having ambition is not sin, saints. But when that ambition has you, then we have a problem. Essentially, this is pride at its highest level. It's been said that pride is the only disease known to men that makes everyone else sick except the one who has it. Isn't that true? I can't be around prideful people. 
Absolutely not. But pride in me, I don't even see it until someone comes and tells me. But that's what it is. The pride. You guys remember Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel 4.30. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for honor and my majesty? See, saints, God hates pride. Says that he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. John wants his readers to focus on what we have in Christ. That's a reason why he said, you're forgiven, you know the Father, you've overcome the wicked one, and you're strong because the word abides in you. So that you don't fall for something way less. So you don't fall for the counterfeit. Even if it's marketed very well, the advertisement. See, Satan spends a lot of time on advertisement because he wants you to be lured into that. We cannot forget our identity that is in Christ. The pride of life is an optical illusion. We can have all the fame and fortune and popularity and be empty. As long as we're proud saints, we cannot know God. A proud person is always looking down to things and people. And of course, as long as we're looking down, we can never see anyone who is above us. Then he says this. Look, the wind blew my paper. We'll end right here. He says, all of this is not of the Father, but is of the world. It doesn't come from God. It's not associated with God. There's a, a big contrast. Verse 17, we'll end here. And the, word, the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. It's not of the Father, it's of the world. Let me get past all this. Okay, amen. We still awake? We here? Oh, yeah. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Saw a little, saw a little moment of silence. Want to make sure you guys weren't taking the early snooze. All right. There we go. Okay. Good. I went a little bit above my notes, but we'll catch up. Essentially, this world has nothing to offer us, saints. Jesus is our pearl of great price. Oh, I actually went past it. Okay, amen. But he says that all that the world is passing away, we do know that. Look, setting our affection and our investments on things here in the world is no different than you rearranging the offices on the Twin Towers before 9-11. It's all going to burn and blow up. The world is passing away. It's dying. It's decaying. It would be foolish to set all of our life and our affections on that rather than those things that are eternal and then, of course, the will of God, essentially, saints, is this. The Bible says that God wills that none shall perish, but all shall come to the knowledge of the truth. That is God's universal will. Obviously, it takes an individual to place their trust and faith in Christ. No, everyone is not automatically saved. But that would be God's perfect will. But we all need to make a decision. And so doing the will of God is better than doing anything else in our lives, saints. And if there's anyone in here... Or anyone watching who does not know God, who is actually under the sway of the wicked one. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that all who come to me, I will no wise cast out, Jesus says. He says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The gospel says every single person that has ever lived except the Lord Jesus Christ has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need God's forgiveness we have violated God's law. But the Bible says, but God, 
who's rich in mercy. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive in Christ Jesus. And it's only by grace that you and I can be saved. And so if there's anyone in here who has not placed their trust in Christ, I want to give that opportunity right now. Because here's the bottom line. The Bible says that death is the king of terrors and that God has put eternity in our hearts. And we can know that we're going to heaven right now because life is but a vapor. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. The worship team, come on up. I want to pray for you. Anyone in here now that hasn't done that? Anyone? Anyone who watches this message? Another day, I want to pray for you guys. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you're the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. Lord, I pray for anyone who has confessed you as Lord and Savior that may watch this some other time. I pray for those that are on the fence that the enemy is trying to keep them back from experiencing and knowing you. For this is life eternal, Lord, that we may know you, the one true God, and your son whom you have sent. And Lord, we just pray, Father, that the word didn't land on, 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 on bad ground, but it landed on good ground to bear forth much fruit. Lord, we may never be fearful in this world, but we always set our eyes to the hills from where our help comes from. Our help comes from you, Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And Lord, we just pray now as we transition into worshiping you in spirit and truth that we would rejoice in such a great salvation that we have been chosen before the foundation of the earth, that we have been accepted in the beloved, that we have been redeemed and forgiven and enlightened and given an inheritance, and we have been sealed unto the day of redemption. And Lord, we cannot wait till we see you face to face. Lord, we long for heaven. Father, be with the people. We love you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. And the saints said, amen.